0: Welcome back, everybody, to another Industrial Marketer Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joey Strawn, and as always, I am joined by Nels, Nels, my heart melts, Jensen. Uh, How are you, man? I'm doing great.
1: I'm in a good mood. Always fun to talk about industrial marketing.
0: Um, Good. We get together near the end of the week to to really talk about this and, and dive in and and, and really explore some things that we're passionate about. I mean, this is for those listeners who are returning and for new listeners, the Industrial Marketer Podcast, where we're sharing tips, tricks, and trends in the marketing, digital sales enablement world for industrial marketers and industrial companies in particular. We're looking at supply chain needs. We're looking at hurdles within the sales and marketing pipeline and how technology and digital marketing trends can help with those and how they Buck up to and support traditional models of communicating with your customers, and it's essentially raising the bottom line of your business. If that sounds like something that that you want to hear, then you're definitely in the right place. I mean, Nels, what, what would you say to some of our listeners? What 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 do they need to be keeping their ears open for today as we talk about website development and and website content?
1: Yeah. So. You know the takeaways that you might be able to share in your company, in your agency. There's uh, there's a lot here to chew on and digest, and I think have, having a couple go to here's here's actionable steps. We'll talk about that in the second segment. But there there's a lot of ground to cover, and there's a lot of mystery to websites from the industrial perspective because it's so far from what they do as a core operation. Um, well, but awesome. Let's hopefully we will simplify it and give people some good starting points on what to address next.
0: That's great. Well, let's go ahead and dive on into our big discussion of the week, which is website development and websites for industrials and industrial companies, industrial manufacturers, industrial supply distributors, all of that. So you said simple. Well, I'm going to ask you a very simple question, Nels. And so, and you know it's simple because it's short. Um, should industrials have a website?
1: Of course. See,
0: how simple question, you... simple answer. I
1: how else it. are How else are you going to explain to uh, prospects and current customers how you can help them? Oh, but Nels,
0: we have a very long history of partners and our Rolodex is very deep. We already have people we're talking to. Why would I need a website?
1: Well, it's uh, boy, where do, where do we get started on that one?
0: So, <laughs> Like uh, I said, simple,
1: qu- not, not every question is simple because no, it's short. <laughs> well, you know, I used to have a phone book too, but um, Oh yeah. Wait, what's not- that? What's that? What's a, fo- a, fo- a phone book? <laughs> I'm a little older than you are, so uh, it, yeah.
0: it it feels. Uh, well, I mean, again, I, I mean, I I joke, I kid, but the reality is, is those two worlds are butting up against each other. Those are questions that are being thrown around between owners of companies and. Maybe they're, you know, their lineage that they're going to hand the company over to, or maybe there's new marketing managers that are, you know, fresh out of college or whatever it may be. And there's these conflicting ideas floating around. Now, there's a lot of very well-established large companies that are listening that have deeply integrated and professional marketing teams. You guys know what we're talking about. You know the importance of this, but there are still a lot of people that are throwing around the questions of, listen... Our brick and mortar, our salesmen are the heart of what we do. So why would we need to spend a lot of money sure. and spend a lot of time to build a website that really, frankly, you're going to see it.
1: Yeah. So you, you touched on several different aspects of the dynamic, uh, in part, people aging out. So those... Long-term veteran salespeople that you have aren't going to be around. The people that they've dealt with for many, many years might not be around anymore. So the people coming in, you may not know. They may not know you. Their behaviors are different. They may na- never have been to some of the same uh, trade shows and part of the same personal sales networks that you have. So trade just shows, the-
0: I mean, even to pause there for just a second in the world that we're living in and our reality of COVID, who knows what the trade show world is going to look like in four years?
1: It may not be a natural have to have as it used to. Right. So if you want to look at it again in really simple terms, website could be a place where people could search to look through your sales brochures. Mm hmm as long as they can find them, right? We're not talking about PDFs. We're talking about content that actually is living and breathing in the Google crawler world. And so that people can look for solutions and they can investigate your products and your services. And you can read about how other customers succeeded with this. You can hear testimonials. It's a a library, if you will, that touts Mm -hmm. your benefits and how you help people.
0: Library is an interesting way to think about it. And it really is a good concept. It's the idea of this is a warehouse. This is a place that houses all of the information and the education that your customers, the people that drive your bottom line, need to know about you and what you can provide to them. So, if that's true, if that's something, and a lot of people are probably nodding their head and saying, well, of course, Joey, that is is exactly what a website is. Haven't you heard of the website? Have you heard of the internet? It's interesting that all of us nod our head in, a, in agreement, but in my experience, and Nels, I'll let you talk to this in, in the content world here too, but not every website, especially in the industrial B2B world, answers even a percentage of those questions. It, they're Products may not be on there. Their services aren't defined or labeled by industry. There's no description around any of the things that they do or produce or the solutions that they provide. There are mixed messages. And one of the things that I want to touch on uh, in just a second now, after I'll let you talk about how content is affected, is why all of that matters when people are searching for your solutions and products and services online. But in a general term before we dive too deep nels, how would you say, you know, that in the industrial world, if the the general if the general idea and the head nod is our website answers our customers questions and gives them the education and information about us that matters. Oh my goodness, what is happening? pause That was weird. Did you hear any of that, Nels? No. Uh uh-uh. oh. Just my you start- kind of. <laughs> my phone you just started kind of ringing. out, but my phone started ringing, and then when I hung up the call, my radio started playing. All in my here. <laughs> okay. So Brandon, I, I heard. Can- I heard none of that. Brandon, we can edit that. Come again. I'll start back in from my website thing, and then Nels turn it over to you. Because from a content angle, if you're not answering the questions of. What we do, who we talk to, why we do it. How is anyone going to know that, Nels?
1: Yeah, I think you have to look at the legacy of manufacturing and the networks. Mm-hmm. Small, we've talked before about the small circle, if you will, right. and how people who were going to be purchasing from you knew who you were. But it's also manufacturing is an engineering driven culture in a lot of companies. And so people wanted to promote what's the latest and greatest from a product perspective. They wanted to communicate new features. They wanted to brag on technology mm-hmm. and there were opportunities for people to ask about these, but they were much more uh, in those, within those personal networks, Right, sales, the personal sales calls. It was the people mm-hmm. who came by your shop from the OEM you know, once a quarter to check in and see yeah. how you're doing and ask, "Hey, well, what can I help you with?" Yes, so,
0: and I would imagine, and if I'm getting ahead of you, stop me. But with specific
1: questions, not just, "Hey, who are you and what do you do?" Yep. But when you know that relationship with your customer, you you know what things are keeping them awake at night, right? Right. When you're dealing with a prospect, you don't know that. Yeah. So that's where the website really is. A golden opportunity is to espouse your values in terms of how you help people. It's it's in terms of sharing examples, and it's um, really an, an engagement invitation. Mm. How can we how can we help you? Those questions were answered in the past, but they were answered on more of a personal networking right. basis. So it's a lot different when you're talking about a prospect that you don't know and they don't know you.
0: Yeah. Well, and and you, I think you mentioned it in a in a previous episode, but there's that statistic that now along the sales cycle, someone may not even encounter your brand until they're 70% of the way yeah, yeah. down their decision pathway. Um, you know, in one of the technical aspects and let me dive in from from my world just a little bit guys because while all of this sounds very common sensey, you know, well, our website should espouse our benefits, they should talk about our solutions, we should explain our products and, and our services. And that's all very, very well and true. But taking it a step further is now you have to be found on search engines and search engines run on algorithms. So there's not people sitting behind the search engine when someone types in a question, finding those answers and throwing them out there. It's all code and code is looking for specific things on specific sites in order to show them as results when people search. The ultimate goal of all of this Uh, guys and listeners, is obviously to have your company and your brand or your solution show up very highly when someone is searching online for those things. Because we know that that's one of the first things that they do. A study after study after survey after survey shows us and tells us that one of the first things people do when they're looking for a solution, a new vendor, a new sales technique, a new white paper, a new knowledge base of need is they go to the internet. And if you're not discoverable there because the words on your site don't match up with the algorithm that spouts the answers to what the search engine query or question is, then that's a problem. That's a disconnect. And so specificity is something that Nelson and I mentioned earlier is customers are coming asking very specific questions of you and your solution. So if you're looking through your website and it's just we're the best metal fabricators in the west and we do the best of this and everything is the greatest and the best and there's no depth into dimension specs or machine types or angle abilities or you know deliverability notices and project management techniques and iso certifications if there's none of that then the things that people are searching for which are those things specific questions what we talked about earlier You're not being found there. So this goes beyond being able to adequately answer questions on a website. It's truly the technical aspect of do the words that you are using on your site match the words that your customers and potential customers are using when they're searching online. And And if those two things don't match, then there's a bigger gap of you not correctly or adequately explaining what you do
1: on your site. Correct. Yes, it's the the do's and don'ts of website development. You have to have the discoverability, right? What mm-hmm. you've just talked about—how important it is that you have the right keywords on your site so that people find you—and right. you have to have the solution-based customer orientation content once they get there. Just because right. they arrive at your site doesn't mean you've won them over and you've converted a. a, a A lead or or qualified lead. They they need to find the value in what you do once they're there. So yes, the structure of how you build the site is really important. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next segment. But then once you arrive there too, and I think I talked earlier about the legacy of manufacturing being engineering driven. So Mm -hmm. I think one of the transitions we've seen is the legacy marketing issues where this world was product based. I mentioned that earlier. You know, there used to be a four Ps of marketing: product, place, price, promotion. You know, the, oh yeah,
0: We're, those was, are built into us in school. Right. If that's, you're a your, marketer, that's your
1: old school. You know, you know the right. four Ps. But if you do the four Ps on an industrial site, you're probably not helping the prospect mm-hmm. as much as you could. You know, the acronym that I've heard now is SAVE: Solution, Access, Value, Education. If you are putting those sorts of orientation content around those orientations on your site, then you're being more customer focused, not product focused. You're being more customer focused. And you have a better chance of delivering what your customer wants.
0: And I agree. And and we, you know, we keep, and I don't want it to sound like we're. Uh, downplaying the importance of product information or product specificity. If you are an e-commerce vendor, if you are a product seller uh, of any kind, there should be detailed product data on your site on the product level. There should definitely be that. And we're going to talk in the second segment about uh, site hierarchy and how to structure different things. And that makes a difference. But Nels, what I hear you saying is that when you're approaching how you talk about the solutions, how you go about building some of that higher funnel uh, information. So let's say you're uh, you're a service provider for the aerospace or the engineering world that's going to be very specific talking points. So to your point, you may be able to say, oh, we provide powder coating for aerospace. And that's very general. And that's kind of a a product or service, you know, that's going to have a price. We do it for this much money and whatever. And we have 50% off if you (laughs) sign up before the end of whatever. You know, those are that that old mindset of, this is a thing that we have, let's commoditize it and let's sell it. On a wider scale, being able to say, you have a problem and it's this, we have a solution and it's this, this is how you get access to that solution. Here's the value of that. And this is all the information you need to know about why this type of packaging is better for the pharmaceutical industry logistics chain than something else. Maybe. Yeah.
1: Not just the the products value, but the process or, you know, uh, the, the, as we like to say that the tips and tricks and trends within that segment within that area. Yeah. Yeah. The website right. the, you know, it, these are multi-layered mm-hmm. opportunities. You do have to, you know, this isn't a, a real simple as a, you know, the old phone book, one-dimensional. Right. I mean, websites in many cases are, are dealing with several um, needs at the same time. And as long as you understand that it's a lot easier to do that. There is a way to merge, what the is important to the company with what is important to the customer there are ways to investigate that and arrive at common ground
0: so so nels like i know outside of going into an entire webinar about you know meeting styles or you know various opportunities of gathering that information what is at least one way like what's a good way that people can kind of they're looking at a website, it's kind of a jumble of everything that their company stands for, and no one can really tell heads or tails of it. Where's at least one place they can start?
1: Um well like the, how do the they home...
0: get, how do they get to the main idea of what their like site needs to be about? What are some questions they can ask?
1: Yeah, so from the beginning, from the home page on, should be the opportunities to learn about how people help you and why they might be the right provider for you. Mm -hmm. So like some, and I know that you guys go through this
0: uh, and, and we'll have Brian explain a little bit more, but one of the things that you guys have labeled it is the
1: core model. Yeah.
0: So trying to find the core identity of what are the major selling points or conversion mechanisms that a site has to offer.
1: Right. And we, a, a core model to just simplify it, you know, is taking sticky notes that say what why do people come to your site? Yeah. What are they trying yeah. to get done? And how do we do that? And you move sticky notes, you know, off of one board into another. Correct. And you know, well, we're gonna send these people here. Where's the path for those people? You basically, in this core model that we use, you provide paths for solutions. What are people so coming lot of it to our is, site? Okay. Answering that is like what are the main reasons
0: that people come? What are the main solutions and interact interactions that we provide? And then basically, you put sticky notes up and track how people could get to think, like how they could convert. Like, where do we need people who come to our website to land? Is it our contact form? Is it the RFQ? Is it the schedule a free consultation? What what is it? You know, is it the e-commerce store with a coupon? Right. Your Hobby Lobby weekly coupon.
1: Yep. How do we help them? They come to our site wanting to do something and where do we send them? How do we help them? Right.
0: Well, so what are, before we get Brian on here and talk really kind of nitty gritty in the weeds, Nels, what do you see as some opportunities or ways that people can do that?
1: Well, I think what we call uh, capturing prospect information. Mm -hmm. So a form you you mentioned, you know, an RFQ, people want to quote, you know, and, and that's the old price quote, you have to give us your information, and we'll send you the price. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which depending upon it's it's if you're dealing with fairly expensive things, which a lot of manufacturing is, that's fine. You don't right. want to just trot out, "Hey, buy." It's not quite like buying a car. <laughs> These machines are Here's a little a f- more complicated. <laughs> Here's a five
0: million dollar exhaust system. Right. Uh, please just credit card number or
1: Venmo. Right. And and traditionally, we've also referred to what we call gated content. So a white paper where, you know, here are everything you need to know about industrial air filtration systems for aerospace. You know, you have to trade your customer information to to read that in depth, you know, um, research report. But there's other ways to capture prospect information too. Like some sites have some functionality built into something. Hey, here's how you build your own paint booth, or here's how you calculate savings from, you know, if you use this automation feature there, there's a way to ask people for information before you, you know, give them some of the good stuff. So, then you're, you're in a process of being able to qualify leads. So capturing prospect information is one. And I think another is basically just videos. It's whether yeah. it's training, whether it's best practices, whether it's client success. You know, I, I think videos are a really good opportunity to, you know, yeah. sort of really rope people into your site and into your website and get them, uh, find a way to get them onto your prospect list. Well, video, I
0: mean, nowadays is one of the the most engaged with types of communication online. Um, you know, there are a lot of studies that show or surveys that show that YouTube is the second most used search engine on the Internet. So, you know, so videos, yes, definitely do have. And from a technical side and from my world, I love videos because they help and they rank really well. They, they engage really well on social and they rank really well uh, in search. And that's great. Um, one of the things that I, I, I was happy that you said, and I do want to reiterate and actually remind people is don't be afraid to give up some of that good stuff. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, old school think that's like, oh, we have to keep all of our secrets to ourselves. And nowadays, if you're answering the question, how can we help our prospects, how can we help our customers, you have to be willing to open some of those gates and share some of that good stuff. And most of the time, it's worth an email or it's worth you know get someone giving you their phone number or contact, uh, filling out a form for it. But being willing to share some of that is always going to open the doors and get more people in. Uh, you know, you attract, Was it? You attract more bees
1: with honey? I think yeah, that's well, the, is, the, the, is the statement. I you you're get prob- money from you're those probably, bees. You're probably bragging about what a great authority you are in this sector. Uh, there's nothing wrong with showing that authority mm-hmm. and that credibility and expertise to your prospects. You don't, as you point you should, out, you want to gain right. that trust, you know?
0: Well, I think this is a perfect time To head on down to the shop floor and meet with our guests for today. I'm excited because uh, as someone that I've worked with a lot, but uh, Brian Matthews, he's going to be joining us today in the shop floor. He's a development wizard. Uh, The angry developers, we like to call him, although he's not very angry, Uh, but he is very direct and he loves to help Websites get better and help companies do better with their stuff, and so I'm excited to have Brian on here in just a minute. So Nels, uh, what do you th- what do you say we head on down to the shop floor?
1: Sounds good. And Brian Brian is great, and there's plenty Can't to be wait. there's plenty to be angry about in terms of what when you look at some <laughs> industrial websites. But he's as you say he's really not angry. He has incredible feedback and insight for uh, industrial websites. All right. Well, we're gonna put
0: him on the spot, and uh, I hope you guys stick around. All right, guys, we are here in the shop floor, and I couldn't be more excited to introduce my friend Brian Matthews. Brian, we've worked together for a long time, and and I had you join me and Nels today, uh, as I've labeled you, uh, correctly or incorrectly, as the angry developer, even though you're a sweetheart. Uh, But (laughs) Brian, thank you for joining us today to talk about
2: industrial websites. Oh, great to be here, Joey. And I'm so mad. I'm so angry. (laughs) (laughs) I love to call you the angry developer
0: because the thing that I appreciate, Brian, and, and to brag on you for a minute, the thing I appreciate about all of our conversations is you're so direct to the point is, well, this website's terrible. Why are we doing it this way? Which is the exact voice we need in conversations, especially when talking about the act of building websites for industrials especially ones that may be averse to the idea so i mean before before i dive into specific questions give us a bit of an overview like where where do you how long have you been working in websites what you know where where's your big focus and and what makes you the maddest
2: when you're looking at a website um well i mean i'm I didn't start out in the industrial world. I started out in the entertainment segment Mm -hmm. of um, the web. Worked at you know Ticketmaster and Echo Music and a number of places for for years, building super high traffic websites for very famous people. Um, And then I guess it was about seven years ago. Wow, Mm -hmm. that long! I got into um, you know uh, industrial websites when I started working with you and. It's a pretty big paradigm shift from you know building a website Mm. for Dolly Parton to building a website for a multi-million dollar manufacturer. The needs are, you know, quite different. But you know, it's it's easy to mess up in both cases, and you know that's typically (laughs) what makes me mad is is seeing stuff that should be no brainer, easy problem to solve, but is either overcomplicated or just not really addressed properly. And and that happens everywhere. You got some
1: examples. I'm sure you do. Uh,
2: Sure. Yeah. Uh, So thinking uh, I'm going to leave the entertainment industry alone. That's Yeah. We're right now,
0: Brian, just so you know, uh, we're talking to to people who either are dealing with marketing stuff on the ground. These are people who are the straddling that sales and marketing kind of fence and sort of having to figure this world out or the C-suite of manufacturers, that leadership who are just sort of figuring this world out, and need to know that someone else understands. So those are who, yeah, anything in the entertainment world, they're not going to care about. They want to know what manufacturers and e-commerce people are doing,
2: and how they can yeah, learn. I, yeah, well, my first big like thing that I see, you know, all the time, very frequently, is just a lack of unprofessionalism on the website you know it'll be a multi-million dollar manufacturing company and they'll have you know a website that looks like it was built by someone's teenage nephew in between fortnight rounds and it just you know, it, you know when you land on something like that that's just really does not it you know, doesn't match the, right. the budget and you know the the clout behind the company it sort of it right. just erodes your confidence right you know it's there is, I will say there is that confidence hit of
0: when you know a name, and, he, and and let's be honest, you know, in the industrial B2B world, a lot of the names are just unknown. No one, people would be surprised if you'd heard of their company, but there are some out there that are big names and you hit their website and you're like, I have got to have found the wrong website. This cannot be so-and-so site because I've heard of them and they're huge. This is an accident.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. In fact, some of them, are, you know, uh, I, I guess it's changing a little bit recently. Some of the bigger mm-hmm. players, you know, they're, they're getting more savvy, but they'll still yeah. be large companies that, you know, their site is so bad that it's approaching avant-garde status, you know, in the art <laughs> world. Like it's, it's, it's become something that's, you know, while maybe not effective, but as far as design goes, this is now avant-garde because it's, you know, retro <laughs> in, in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that so much. It's
0: like, you think you uh, landed, on, what was that? Um, oh, what's the website that l- allows you a time machine, or a browser time machine oh, yeah. or way back. Machine like that. Way Wayback machine. Thank you. You think you accidentally landed on a Wayback machine page and it's just the website. Um, so, so Brian, like if, if people are listening and they're like, well, if that's the case, I don't want to spend time to keep it up. I'm an industrial. Should I even have a website? Do I even need one? Like
2: why should they even bother? Well, I mean, you know, if if people are looking for you on the Internet and they are, right, yeah. whether it's on their phones or their computers or whatever, if they have a problem to solve, you know, equipment to replace materials to secure, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to get the phone book out and just right. start, you know, going through the list of companies there. The first thing most people are going to do is look for something right. on the internet that gets them closer to that goal. And if your website's a true business asset, looks professional, builds confidence and, you know, supports, you know, helping those visitors, you know, solve their problems, mm. it, it's going to be a big asset. And, and I think you're kind of hitting on, you know, that, that question, should I have, you know, a, a website, as an industrial company, should I have a website? Right. Uh, you know, maybe even uh, 10 years ago, that answer, You know, you know, it could have been wishy-washy, right? Because business has sort of changed in recent years as far as the way those those Paywheels customers find those businesses, and you know, pretty much any business today, whether it's industrial or not, does need to have a website. And if it's industrial, it can your business is industrial, it can certainly be a great asset for the company and. A lot, oftentimes it's the very first point of interaction somebody's going to have with your company and if it doesn't look professional then they might form an opinion right away of how unprofessional your company is you're right so once once you have that website and you
1: have that professional look from a development perspective what's next what what's the what's the priority for an industrial website once you you know you're going to have a We're having it redone. It's going to look good. We want it to make a true business asset. And from a development perspective, what's next?
2: Um, Well, I I see, you know, I don't want to get super, super nerdy here, but I see this happening uh, a lot with, you know, clients we interact with. You know, they'll have an internal, you know, Mm -hmm. IT department that are you know really good at supporting the manufacturing floor or or setting their employees up for you know success flowing leads around here and there in accounting etc and a lot of times you know they it seems that those folks those sort of internal IT departments get They also get the website work because you know uh, this guy knows about computers. He can do that. You know, kind of the he's got he's he's the web guy, right? Oh, oh, he knows how to turn a computer on. Yeah, he can build a website, (laughs) and that's that's not always the case. You know, it's like you know you got a guy that fixes your lawnmower and he's really good at it, and your plane breaks down. You're like, oh, Randy Bob can fix my lawnmower. That's got an engine. My plane has an engine. Let's get him to fix it. He he might oil, oil, gas, gas. It's the same. (laughs) Right. It, and, you know, it might work out, but oftentimes it doesn't. So uh, one of the uh, I guess a big mistake that could be made is, you know, just throwing, you know, website work over the wall to your you know, internal IT folks. And sometimes that works out great if those people have that expertise. But a lot of times they right. don't. It doesn't completely overlap with, um, you know, supporting internal manufacturing right. systems versus something that's public facing for the general yeah. user yeah that's that's interesting
1: because um, manufacturers were faced with this OTIT conundrum too, the operational technology that runs their businesses and their machines. And it took a while for them to realize, yeah, the IT is is a whole different avenue, a whole different you know vertical. And so yeah, the, the website, even beyond that. So I, I think there's lessons learned from manufacturers and that from other areas of the company.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. And I honestly, Brett uh Brian, I want to dive in on one thing because this is a term I've heard you use internally. And this usually comes up when IT teams are uh or gifted the job of also updating and maintaining websites, is that there are patches or there are plugins or there are you know things that have accumulated over time that solve an immediate problem. But maybe the term you've used that I love and want to introduce everyone to is technical debt. We all are very sure. We're all very confident and, and comfortable with the idea of financial debt or maybe emotional debt. But, Brian, you introduced me to the term years ago of technical debt. And, and I want you to dive in a little bit on that because I think, one, it is – Common within our industries because of that idea of well, I'm not an expert, so I'll just do this plugin or I research this website patch or I'm going to do this on WordPress because of X, Y, and Z. And so, I want to give you a platform to kind of tell everybody what this is and what they should be looking out for.
2: Right, great technical debt. That's one of um, you know that that can be a major problem and. It does it doesn't necessarily like even expert developers that are doing exactly the right thing for years can still accrue technical debt and uh, let me let me explain it first i guess with an analogy and that might make sense to uh, especially folks you know in, in industrial or manufacturing um you can think of it as a bush fix right like if you're if you're mining for gold in the Klondike and you know the nearest like by, repart- by replacement parts is you know, 30 miles away on a dirt road and it's going to take you two weeks to get there. Something breaks. You know. Operationally, you can't shut down for that long. So um, you do what's called a bush fix. You might have some folks that can slap on some duct tape, use rope, right. some welding, whatever, to just get you uh, back up and running quickly. And, and, and that works, and it's great. The problem arises is when you continue to make those sort of bush fixes... Mm. Um, slapping duct tape on, you know, uh, monkey patching is another word, term I've heard to, to describe those types of fixes, jury rigging, <laughs> etc. Uh, eventually, you'll have so many bush fixes and things like that, that you have something very fragile and is, is almost ready to completely unravel. Um, and that happens in, you know, the web world, too. And it's, it's usually related to um, velocity of change. Uh, especially over time. So there'll be a, um, a change to a site or a campaign initiative, something that you sort of, you know, need to get out the door immediately. So you do the quick fix to support mm-hmm. that. And, and it works and it's great. But if you keep, you know, adding those quick fixes up, right. eventually you'll get to a point where that debt you have created, yeah. technical debt with those quick, you know, fixes, not doing it the right way, but the quick fixes will need to be paid down. Because you'll get right. to a certain point where like, okay, oh, we can't really do another quick fix. We've done too many. Or this if we do another yeah. quick fix, you might find that suddenly things are not stable and operating anymore. Right. Um, and I guess that sort of concept of technical debt, you know, like you alluded to, it applies across disciplines. There can be marketing yeah. debt, branding debt, you know, plenty of things to do that. And right. so I guess it basically it boils down to, you know. It's okay to do the quick fixes, but not every time. Eventually, well, those will come back to bite you. Well, so I think one thing, oh, uh, but Nels, please, please make your point. I, I yeah,
1: gonna, well, I was, I was just going to talk about one of the ironies of the industrial sector is that this same mentality has been confronted with their processes, with their machines, and at some point there's, okay, our stamping press just can't do it anymore. The tonnage monitors outdated, this, whatever. They just understand and inherently, yes, we have to invest in order to keep our business, let alone grow our business. And a lot of the lean efficiency things that came to manufacturing, you know, why did it take so long to have the same continuous improvement on the knowledge base side, on the sales, on the marketing, on the hiring, you know, why has it yeah. been so hard to get that same kind of approach to a website? Well, it's, I think it's, it's, a rhetor- it's a rhetorical question more than anything, but Brian, you know, they're not, a lot of industrial companies aren't bringing the same mindsets to their website that they bring to their core operations.
2: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and I think that, you know, Mm. sort of stems from a question Joey asked earlier was, you know, as an industrial company, should I even have a website? I think we're, you know, we're watching this evolve because, you know, the their customers, you know, are, are getting, you know, younger and are, have yeah. more experience with the internet. Uh, even, you know, 10, 15 years ago, like I kind of said earlier, that you know the folks their customers you know really weren't on the internet there was still rolodexes and phone calls yeah. and you know the the your, your buddy network how you would get mm-hmm. around to doing that and now you know obviously the the stuff you mentioned now is like internal operational stuff that's top of mind right that's yeah. if that's not working there's nothing but as far as a website goes as a way to you know get new customers get the word out you know help people solve problems that's I think we're kind of just now seeing industrials realize that this is a real tool that's that's helpful and can be just as probably should be just as important as making sure, you know, the factory floor is running great. Well, and it's interesting in this, and I actually am glad, Nelson,
0: you went first because the point I was going to make was expand upon Brian's bush fix analogy is I think one of the reasons that the website and the marketing systems and the CRM systems don't get as much of that attention and love is because it's not as easy to see the duct tape. You know, you have the duct tape on your wagon. You have the wheel that's wobbling back and forth. You have the tonnage monitor that's, you know – uh, that's one, not reading or two, you know, that's sparking or, you know, you got your safety curtain that's not, you know, firing correctly. Those things send off alerts. The, the fact that a website isn't working is usually simple, symptomatic uh, or the symptoms of that are no one's on your website which then makes you think that the website doesn't work, which means then you doesn't want to give attention to the website. So it's a circular kind of virus and no one's looking, no one's like, no like page on the site is wobbly. So they don't think to look for the duct tape on the back end, unless they have someone like Brian on staff or, you know, someone with that expertise that may not be that IT guy. It may be, but it may not be. And then someone gets hired or a marketing agency or a consultant or a freelancer gets hired, with brian's expertise and he comes in there and is horrified by all the duct tape and then a client's like well i'm not going to pay eighty thousand dollars or whatever to fix this it doesn't even look that bad and the guy's like there's so much duct tape on the back end like if someone uploads a picture of nicholas cage your whole site's gonna crash <laughs> like i don't know how to tell you there's so much tape back
2: here yeah, that, that's a good point. The, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? And you know, yeah, and, and unless you don't have the yeah, websites are not squeaking unless you know. You, you need the person to listen yeah. to the website, and that person <laughs> will do the squeaking. A <laughs> website whisperer, uh, whether it is, you know. <laughs> Well, we're obviously you know, I have a
0: vested interest in people you know talking to us, but whatever, whoever that website whisperer is, just make sure you can, you have you find somebody who can listen. So Brian, this has been fantastic. Before you go, since we're on the shop floor and this is all about actionable mistakes and insights and tips, what is one piece of advice you would give to a company? Maybe something they could do this quarter? that would be an actionable thing they can do to help their website.
2: Yeah. Okay. So specifically if he, uh, thinking about industrials, that would be, you know, consider the mobile experience, like truly awesome. can consider, you know, if someone has their phone out, what, what's going to happen. Um, you're going to get, you know, random people just sort of browsing the internet sure. on their phone, but you're also going to get, you know, the guy in the field who is trying to procure some steel or trying to fix this, you know, stamping press and needs a part, etc. And he, the first thing he's going to might do is pull his phone out and say, well, let me just go to, you know, Acme and see if they can help me. And too often, I don't see that Aspect really, truly considered. I mean, we, a lot of times it'll work on the phone, right? The website will work just fine on the phone, but the experience is not considered. Um, You know, if the guy is trying to, you know, replace a part on the shop floor, you know, it's an emergency. He's trying to do it. He goes to acme.com on his phone. And he's presented with, you know, the company history or how awesome mm-hmm. the leadership team is. Like, it's just going to no be clickable trouble. phone number. Yeah, right. There, there should be an, an, a way for this individual to solve their problem, whether that's, you know, a part search or, you mm-hmm. know, starting a materials purchasing process whatever, whatever it may be. Truly consider why yeah. someone would get their phone out and contact you on the Web in the first place. I love that
0: advice. And honestly, I'm going to extend that out and take that advice and actually give our listeners homework. If you work in the marketing department, if you're invested in how marketing and digital marketing affects your company and your bottom line, then over the next week, get out your phone, go to your website and go through an entire purchase Go Like a contact form fill out, a purchase, or an RFQ, go through your site, answer a question that a customer would have, and go through the experience that they would go to. If you're not happy
2: with the experience, neither are they. Yeah, that, that's great advice. Like we, we all are, you know, most of us are, you know, pretty heavy internet users, right? You know, around Christmas, we're ordering stuff online all the time. Yeah. And we get frustrated easily, and it makes us mad, mad enough to, you know, talk to other people about it. Same thing. Same principles yep. apply here. It just, you know, it might be not as frequent, you know, with industrial, um, you know, lead time and purchase cycles. But sure, all sure, same frustrations are there.
0: Well, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a fantastic uh, bit of advice. And we've even got some homework for people out of it. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. We're definitely going to have you back. I want to dive into more specific things and maybe even pull out some of the case studies of the most embarrassing things you've seen on websites in the future. But we're definitely going to have you back. Thank you so much for, for joining us today and, and dropping some knowledge on these listeners.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Next time, I'll be sure to be a lot angrier. okay well that would
0: that would be that'd be so preferred you were not very angry today angry developer but but thank you anyway and listeners uh, as we wrap up our show today as always please if you haven't already subscribed to our show subscribe follow us on the website go there and you can follow all of our socials you can read all of our educational articles even some articles that are probably going to be written by brian and, and yours truly and nels as well so uh find find us over there and share this podcast if you know other people that would benefit from it being part of this industrial marketer universe please go ahead share this episode share this podcast with them we want to grow this and be as helpful as we can Uh, until next week uh, i am joey strun this has been nels jensen and we are the industrial marketer podcast
2: and we'll talk with you next week